the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Today is the second in a series called Find Your Rhythm, and it means two things. So in this, that's what the phrase means in this series. Find your rhythm as in find your spot in the band, in the orchestra that is the kingdom of God. Every single one of you has a gift, has abilities, has opportunities, has skills, has desires and passions and, and stories that help you become exactly the part you need, play exactly the part you need to play. Uh, and we want to help you do that. The other side of finding your rhythm is a very personal thing, and that is just Im- implementing more than ever before the spiritual disciplines into the rhythm of your life, making that normal, making just that just as part of your life. And I hope and pray and assume that most of you are already practicing many of the things we're exploring over these weeks, but we all need the reminder, we all need the encouragement to get, dig even deeper. These are just too powerful and too important to not talk about and not invest in. Last week we talked about fellowship and the rest of this series we're going to focus mostly on things that we do together and that's because that's most of the things God created. Most of the relationships and ideas and strategies are things that we do together. Whether that's marriage or church or whatever, it's, it's he loves for us to team up and he wants to team up with us. As we've looked over several times over the last several weeks, church happens in the intersection of God and you and others. It's, it's where all three of those happen that good things happen. But today we're going to zoom in really tight on that you section. These are three things that have to happen on our own. If you join a band, if you, you practice every Saturday in somebody's garage, that's great. But it's not that great if you show up and you haven't practiced alone. How many know what I'm talking about? Any fellow musicians out there? It's not cool. If you're learning that song for the first time, you don't even know how to play your instrument. You don't practice at all on your own. It's not going to be very good when you're trying to do that as a team. So today we're focusing on this stuff that we do alone. And and it's easy for me to talk about music because that's, that's one of my favorite things in the world. And I, I got to tell you, I, I know that I'm not like the epitome of great. I know that. But one of the reasons I'm as good as I am at music is not even something that was up to me. My parents were Bible translators in another country. We had no electricity. We had no TV. We had no distractions. My dad is super into football. And if I just look at me, I probably would have played football in America. Do you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what I look like. But, but what happened was not doing all those things, not having all those distractions. That's one of the reasons why I had so much time to invest in music. I had hours and hours and hours to play all the instruments that I owned and write songs and listen to music and study music. And just, I went further and further down that rabbit hole. And I only mentioned that to you this morning because that's how fasting works. And that's where we're going to start today. When you don't do something, that gives you time for something else. When you don't do something, that gives you energy and money and everything else to do something else. Now, not playing football doesn't automatically make you good at playing the guitar. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to invest that time. Just not eating doesn't necessarily make you any closer to God or anybody else. But the idea of fasting, it's, it's where you take something that you're spending all that. You, you regularly spend time and energy as part of the rhythm of your life. You break that rhythm and you put it, you use that time somewhere else. There's so much power in that. Fasting, actually, let's say this together. Fasting reboots our souls. 
There aren't very many easy buttons in life. Have you noticed that? You know what I'm talking about? An easy button? There just aren't a lot. One of the ones that, that I love, it's probably the only one that I know, is the power button on an electronic device. God bless whoever came up with computers in such a way that when you shut them off and turn back on, it fixes stuff most of the time. That's my one skill when it comes to technology. If you didn't know that, just try it. Shut it off, turn it back on. It works most of the time. I like that. Got distracted by that. Hold on just a second. Oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> but fasting reboots our souls. We shut something off that we're used to doing all the time, and it allows us to, to reconfigure. It reminds us what we really need most. It reminds us who we really are. It allows us to refocus on God and on who he has made us to be. It makes us more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm not sure how that works, but I've experienced it, and so have countless others through the centuries. It's powerful. Throughout the scripture, you see people fasting in groups. This is something that you do as a group sometimes, but primarily alone. King Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and many others throughout the history in the Bible actually called for a group fast, a nationwide fast. It was almost always at a major reboot time in their, in their history. There was something they needed to repent before God. They needed his leading. There was, it was almost always at a major turning point. Uh, but you also see several people doing it on their own. Daniel, Moses, Job, some other people like that. One of those people is David. We still tell a lot of great stories about David. He is such a great example in so many ways. And when you look to him and his stories, you say, that's what bravery looks like. That's what courage looks like. That's what worship looks like. Go David. We should be more like David. But how many know there was at least one major story where you don't want to be like David? And in that story, in that story, he stole. It's not just a story, by the way. It's history. It's what happened. But here's what ha here is what happened. He stole another man's wife got her pregnant, to cover it up, he got that guy killed, misused his authority, and didn't even feel bad about it. He just carried on his merry way until the prophet Nathan came and confronted him about it. And that's where we pick up the story right here. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. David knew that he had to completely reboot his soul. He had gotten so far away from God that what was despicable and wrong looked right and perfectly normal. And he had to fast and pray so that he could reboot. On the seventh day... This is a whole week of this. On the seventh day, the child died. And all the people came to him. They were scared to death to tell him. But, but watch his reaction after fasting and praying and truly reconnecting, truly rebooting with God. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Now, at this point, in the temple of God, it's my personal belief that this is the first time he prayed or possibly even sang Psalm 51 to God. We know from the scriptures, it's clear, that Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance at this moment in his story. 
Whether this is a, he had it all completely com completed by this point or not, I don't know. But I know that as he's praying here, before he eats one bite, before he goes back to anything normal, he goes into the temple, he worships God, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. This is how fasting can help reboot you. Jesus set a, a perfect example all the time. This was part of the example he left for us as well. Uh, right after he got baptized, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's one of the major understatements in the Bible. Can you imagine? And, and by the way, some of you are probably already pushing back. Just go on to the next point. There's no way I'm skipping a meal. There's no way I can. I've got a doctor's thing that says I shouldn't. It's not going to happen. Don't do it. Most of us, most of us can skip a meal and we're going to be okay. In fact, most people, if you're healthy, you could go over a month and not eat at all. Not, we, we just can't even imagine that. But God's made us pretty Pretty resilient bodies, much more than we're used to. Just throwing that out there. This is what Jesus said. And this is the moment where he has his classic duel with the devil in the desert. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And fasting allows us to remember that in a powerful way. And it's very important, though, that as we talk about all of these things, that we don't see this as legalistic. We're not talking here about if you're an okay Christian, you do this, and if you're a better Christian, you do this, and if you're a really great Christian, that's not what we're talking about. I'm just trying to give you some of the tools that need to be in your toolbox. These are the most important, the most effective things that just actually get the job done in our hearts and in our souls. Okay? I hope that's clear. Jesus was not legalistic. Watch this in Mark chapter 2. Uh, some of the other gospel writers rec record this same conversation. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come. When the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not about you have to do it. It's the fasting day. Let's all fast. It's, it's something intimate that you do with God. But we do see his followers carry this on. In Acts chapter 13, 1 to 5, the apostles and all the Christians got together and collectively fasted and prayed. And that's where the Holy Spirit gave them all the idea to send Paul and Barnabas on the first international mission trip. And that's where all those other churches in Ephesus and Galatia and Corinth and all those places came from. And then they started writing letters to them. And that's where we got 1st, 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Are you following me on this? this? This was a major moment. It came out of prayer and fasting. Later, we see that Paul and Barnabas went back around and helped the churches really get going. In Acts 14, 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. 
Again, these are major reboot moments. These are really important times. They're choosing the church leaders. They're deciding what God wants next for his whole global church. These are major moments, but this is a tool that's there. It's important, though, to remember these words that God spoke to Isaiah. There's similar passages in several of the prophets. And I believe that Jesus' example, what he just said to the Pharisees, uh, it harmonizes with this perspective per perfectly. Listen what God said to his people through Isaiah. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they said? Why have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. By the way, that's not talking about being hangry. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying they're, they're not changing their behavior at all. They're, they're, they're fasting. They're going through the motions of fasting, legalistically skipping some meals and making sure everybody else knows they're doing so. But they're just fighting each other and just being jerks to each other anyway. That's not okay with God. In fact, listen, listen to what he says. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Have you ever seen a reed in the wind? It kind of goes like this. There's no thought. There's no motion. There's no choices. No life changes happening. It's just going up and down. It's like, if that's all your bowing to me is, forget it. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Listen, this is the key. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Our fasting and anything else that we do in private and as a group before God, it should be an expression of how we live how we live out what God has taught us, how we live in love, how we share and model love for the community, for the world, how we bring people into his, into his kingdom. But fasting, let me tell you something, fasting is one of the things that can loose the chains in your own heart and in your own life. It can set you free from habits that have become deeply entrenched. It can help you break yokes that are bound, binding you, maybe that nobody else even knows about. One more thing about fasting technology, and we're going to move on to the other two. It's going to go a little faster from this point. But we live in a world now where there's so much technology everywhere, we just forget that there is an off button. And, and throughout the scriptures, it doesn't talk about technology. When it talks about fasting, primarily it's talking about fasting from food or drink. And I think that's powerful, and I, I don't want to change that. But you can also fast from other things. And one of the most powerful things I, I encourage in practice fasting from is technology. 
Find a moment where you can just, it's this button right here, if you haven't tried it in a while. Just shut it off. Unplug. Get somewhere where it's actually silent. Get somewhere where nobody else can be around. How many remember before there was Google and before there was an internet? Yeah. We all did all right. It's hard to remember what it was like back then. It's so much easier. I like it. I appreciate it. But my goodness, it's okay without it for at least a little bit. And just shutting it off for a little while makes you even appreciate it more. But that leads into the second really big thing. These two kind of go together is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude reboot our minds. And part of that process, I want you to know, it's, it's painful. I just want to give you a straight up heads up. Most of us never experience silence and solitude anymore. And so when you finally experience it, it's scary. I'm being just real with you, but it's worth pressing through. It's worth pressing through the fear because here's what's going to happen. You get completely still, completely quiet. You haven't done it for a long time. All that stuff you've been squashing down and distracting yourself from is going to boil up to the surface. Stuff you didn't even know you were angry about, you're going you're gonna to be feeling it. Stuff that you did, weren't even feeling guilty about, like David and Bathsheba and that whole situation. It's going to come up. It's, you're going to feel it. And, and you're going to have to process that. Stuff that you, it's just going to come back up. Fears you have, doubts you have, all of this stuff. But it's also, I don't know what it is about it, but just being silent, being still, allows you to hear the voice of God. Recently, a lot of our women participated in a journaling workshop. And I thought that was so great. But I, I want to tell you guys, that's not a feminine thing. That's not a woman of God thing. That's just a really good idea. Uh, journaling was not a thing in the Bible. It's just a really great way to practice prayer, meditation, Bible study, silence, solitude. And guys and ladies, I'm telling you, try it. Get alone with God and just take even one piece of paper and a pen. If you're not somebody who enjoys writing or reading, that's okay. But you're going to find something. If you give God space to talk to you, you give yourself space to think and feel stuff you haven't for a while with no competing voices in your head, you're going to have some stuff to write down, some stuff you want to go back and visit later. And if you're a creative person, this is when you're going to write your best poetry and song lyrics and essays and blogs. I'm telling you, because you're going to really process who you really are and remember who God is. And you're going to hear the spirit flowing through you in that silence. Take if it's a journal, that's such a wonderful idea. And those tools they were using, it's uh, we're, we're going to offer it to everybody soon. Somehow it's just good stuff. It's not a woman thing. It's just a good thing. We tracking so far? First person that you see practicing silence and solitude in the scripture is a guy named Enoch. And Enoch was really cool. Um, we only hear a few verses of, about his story starting in Genesis. And then he's referred back to in Hebrews. And um, he's quoted in Jude. Uh, we don't have the whole whatever else he said except for what Jude quoted. And I'm not sure where that went to. But thank God we have a couple words from him. But also, here's what we know about him. He walked with God. 
And he walked with God literally and metaphorically. All of us, when we say we walk with God throughout the scripture, that means you walk the talk. You actually live out what you believe. You actually experience life with God and with other people as he tells us to do. But he also, on a regular basis, literally walked with God. He got alone. It was just him. And the Bible tells us that one day God just took him. He's in a very small club. There's just three people. There's another one of those threes, by the way. Three people in all of history that have gone to heaven without dying. One is Jesus. And yes, he died. But he came back to life physically and then rose to heaven still alive. Are you with me? Okay. Second one is Elijah. And he, he went to heaven without dying. The other one is Enoch. There's only three of them. And he was just so good at this silence and solitude, just him and God thing, that one day God just said, hey, hey buddy, just come on home. Didn't even have to die. And I'm not promising that to you. I'm not saying that you'll be able to skip death if you get good enough at this. I'm just saying it's powerful, and he's a good example of that. But again, one of the best examples there is is Jesus himself. Right after John was killed, Here's what it says in Matthew 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. You can see some ellipses, a little dot, dot, dot there. I don't know if you're familiar with Matthew 14, but this is actually a very famous passage. After the first one, he went to be alone. That's when he fed the 5,000. And, and after he fed all them, he went ahead and made sure he was still alone for a while. And then he went and walked on water and got Peter to join him. Luke 5 says, the news about him spread all the more. Crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We're told in other passages that he spent the whole night praying Let's try this again. He spent the whole night praying before he chose his disciples. Right before he went to die for us, he spent time praying alone in Gethsemane. This is just a needed thing that we all need, even Jesus himself. We need that time alone, unplugged, disconnected. It has to happen. Francis of Assisi said, keep a clear eye toward life's end. Do not forget your purpose and destiny as God's creature. What you are in his sight is what you are and nothing more. We have to silence all the other voices for a moment to hear God tell us who he thinks we are. And that leads us to the last one, secrecy. We're going to unpack Matthew 6 in just a second. Uh, but secrecy, I want to say there's, it's not named. But the whole chapter of Matthew 6 is where we get it. So we'll unpack that in a second. First, I want to get back to my story for just a quick second. I want to share, this is one of several times in my life where these things have literally shaped the course of the rest of my life. In 1990, I was recording my third independent album. I was in a studio in Texas. And the guy who was producing that album for me offered me a job. He offered me a three-year contract 
uh, to be in a band, there'd be a salary, there'd be, he'd be my manager, he, he would uh, use my songs, uh, and on the other side of this band, he would guarantee he would promote me as a solo artist. And at that spot in my life, even though I was still a student at Johnson, uh, there was no doubt that this was my dreams coming true. This was God answering my prayers. I was so excited. But I took some time to think and pray and fast about this. And it started to come clear. What he was actually asking me to be part of was a, a Christian boy band. Do you remember the boy bands? Yeah. And I don't know if you know how those work, but they, there's a formula. There's the really cute guys, that are the big stars. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to be the guy who's young but already has a full beard. He's not quite as cute, not quite as good of a singer or dancer, and they always make him stand in the back. That was going to be me. Pretty sure. But the more I thought about this and prayed about this, I realized this was not God's will. This was not the best next step. This was not that everything he was offering me was all the things I hate about the music business. There was no way I could lock my life into that. And thank God, that's one of the decisions I look back on that I've made that I have no regrets. There's not one day of my life that I've looked back and said, man, I could have been in a boy band. <laughs> Never once. I'm telling you, that's how powerful this stuff can be. Zechariah said, Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? And that's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is some of his foundational bedrock teaching here. In Matthew 6, he starts out, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he begins to unpack several of the core disciplines, and he says, try doing it secretly. He says, give in such a way that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Ever heard that before? That's where it comes straight from Jesus. Give. And sometimes when you give to somebody, especially if you give directly, people have to know about it. There's chance. It's not that it's wrong. He's just saying if you give in such a way that it's a secret, you have to trust God to reward you. If you give in such a way that everybody else is going to reward you, that's the only reward you're going to get. And he goes on. He says, lay your treasures in heaven, not on earth. He talks about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't pray on the street corner. Go in your bedroom. Even in your closet, pray where nobody can hear you except your Father in heaven. When you fast, don't, don't look terrible. <laughs> Wash your face and look, look normal. Be okay. If it was today, he would have probably said something like, take a shower and put on deodorant. He's just like, come on. You don't have to drag yourself around. Oh, I can't do that today. I'm fasting because I'm like that. And it's no accident that this passage ends with his classic teaching on don't worry. Trust God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Francis of Assisi said, remember that when you leave this earth, you can take nothing that you have received, but only what you have given. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born 
to eternal life. I used this quote last week. I'll use it again several more times in this series. Dr. Tony Evans says, Discipleship is a process, not an event. Thus, it demands spiritual growth. We're not called to just go out and help people get saved. We're called to make disciples. And again, these tools that we're talking about today that you do alone, they're they're there so that you can practice alone and then you're prepared to practice with the rest of us. And then we practice together so that then we can together go on tour. Are you with me? This is where we take it out to the rest of the world. And the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about all of those. All, it's not, this is not a solo sport, brothers and sisters. This is not, Christianity is not, not all about just you and God. It's especially not just about you. We, but you have to do stuff in the bedroom so that you're prepared to do stuff in the garage so that you're prepared to go on tour with the rest of the band. Does that make sense? This morning, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I'm inviting you to take a step in that direction and a step in obedience to God. There might be somebody here who's never actually even become a Christian. You've never actually given your life to Jesus, never been baptized. None of the things that he said to do, this is what I need you to do, to be a disciple and to keep being a disciple. I'd love for you to make that choice today. We'd love to help you through that. Uh, some of you may be feeling led to uh, join our church officially. We'd love, love for you to do that. Just come forward during this song. It's very simple. We just say, hey, welcome to the family, basically. We all say the good confession together, and that's it. We, we, we don't require that, but it'd be great. It'd be fun. But it, maybe you need to stay where you're at and in your heart just commit to fasting or getting alone this week. Practicing some silence and solitude, maybe for the first time in a while. To, to do something good that you do all the time, but this time keep it a secret and see how God rewards you for that. I don't know what he's leading you to do, but as we stand and as we sing, make that choice together today.